Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Usually when a regime bombs its own people, it's big news in Western capitals, in the Western media. Not so when the own people concerned are Palestinian people. Bombed from the air, shelled from the land, and viciously assailed by thousands of heavily armed infantrymen who went house to miserable house in the Janine refugee camp, massacring people as they went. Most people know nothing about this because it didn't happen in the Ukraine. It happened in a piece of land that has been illegally occupied by one of the West's best friends. So good are they as friends, they are effectively honorary Westerners. They sing in the Eurovision song contest. They play football in the European football tournaments. They are endlessly rewarded with hundreds of billions of dollars of subvention plus private fundraising on an unprecedented scale. No one can say a word against them for fear of being branded as a racist anti-Semite and worse, cancelled from all polite company, including losing one's job. That's the situation the poor Palestinian masses find themselves in and have found themselves in these past 70 years hence. It is a miserable place to be. The fact that nobody cares that your refugee camp, a rancid, rat-infested series of hovels in which generations of Palestinian people have lived and died, that nobody cares about it, adds considerable insult to the obvious injury. I myself, together with the editor of this show, Ron Mackay, have many times visited the town and the refugee camp of Janine. It is a unique refugee camp in that if the residents climb onto the roofs of their hovels, they can literally see with their own eyes the houses from which they themselves were driven, their houses. They can see their land, their gardens, their orange trees being picked by strangers from Russia, from America, from France, from Britain, from everywhere but the holy land of Palestine itself. Can you just imagine the psychological anguish of that, of growing up and knowing your whole life that just over the fence is a beautiful house that was in your family for many, many centuries and land that was in your family for millennia, occupied and enjoyed by foreigners. Foreigners who regularly assail you 
in the most savage way. And this week, across all parts of the spectrum. Now, before anyone says, but the Palestinian people are not their people. Well, legally, actually, they are. Under international law, under every Geneva Convention, Israel as a state has the complete responsibility for the safety of the civilian population living in the area that they militarily occupy, leaving aside all issues of how this occupation has been allowed to continue, uncontested, indeed rewarded for so long, leaving all of that aside. As a matter of law, the Israeli government has full legal responsibility for the safety of the refugees living in that camp. Instead, it was the Israeli government that was murdering them. More than a hundred of them uh, were wounded, and at least a dozen of them were murdered. And thousands of them, refugees already in their own country, were forced to pack what they could carry on their back again and move out of that camp and into presumably another camp somewhere else in their own country. The fact that this savagery went unnoticed, whilst every single jot, tittle and comma of claimed events in Ukraine continue to be highlights, headline news across all Western media for more than an entire year, all day, every day, every night, sums up the poisonous dichotomy that exists in the world today. Namely, that the blood of some people is more valuable than the blood of others. And the blood of Arabs, of Palestinians, of Muslims is worth, worth least of all. The value of people with blue eyes like mine, people with blonde hair like I used to have, and white faces like I and many of you watching have, is of course almost infinitely more valuable. So much so that there has developed a league, a league of conspirators involved in a series of actions that may well bring about World War III. Now, I'm really not exaggerating. I'm really, really not. This day, this night, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant may be attacked by shell, missile, rocket, mine, or explosive, causing a new Chernobyl to emerge from the Ukraine. The last disaster at Chernobyl poisoned people in North Wales, in North America, throughout the European continent. This one will be very much worse. And it's intended to be very much worse. The clue was in that rodent Republican, Lindsey Graham's 
recent visit to Ukraine and the congressional action that he launched when he returned. If he said there was any use of Russian nuclear weapons or capital letters or an attack on a nuclear power plant in Ukraine causing the emission of radioactive material into the population, this will be regarded according to his bill before the House as an Article 5 attack on NATO and thus trigger the entry of NATO into the war in Ukraine. The lie is that it is the Russians that are going to explode their own nuclear power plant, surrounded by their own Russian people, including their own Russian army, in the hope that it will draw the NATO powers into the war just when Russia is winning it. And just when informed commentators are beginning to admit the dismal failure of the so-called spring, now summer, counter-offensive. Stupid people, these Russians. Huh? They blew up their own Nord Stream pipeline, ending any and all leverage that they had over Germany, burning 23 billion euros worth of Russian and German investment, causing a leakage of methane exponentially larger than all the cows in the world farting at once. The biggest ecological act of terror, not just ever done, but ever imagined. That was the Russians what done that to themselves. They even bombed their own dam. Their own dam, they blew it up. They flooded their own land. They drowned their own people. They destroyed their own military positions, carefully arranged over a 12 month. They made it easier for the Ukrainian amphibious probes and one day, perhaps, attacks in the much-famed counter-offensive. They bombed their own bridges, don't you know, on which they'd spent billions, billions, tens of billions of rubles, and which provided a fast, rapid, and much-used method of transport from the Crimea to the mainland of Russia. They bombed it. They destroyed their own bridge. The fools. They even attacked their own Kremlin. Do you remember that one? They sent a drone into the roof of Putin's bedroom in their own Kremlin. That's how stupid they are. And now, just like President Assad, who waited for the arrival of a United Nations chemical weapons team to launch a chemical weapons attack conveniently to trigger Donald Trump and David Cameron, though we in Parliament stopped the latter from launching a blizzard 
of cruise missiles down on the people of Syria on an utterly bogus pretext. The Russians are never done self-harming. They're never done inviting the maximum number of military powers to invade and to confront them on the battlefield. And if you believe that, you will literally believe anything. In fact, I'm tearing what remains of my hair out when I see on social media that there are fools who believe it, who believe that the Russians are about to blow up tonight their own nuclear power plant. The fact that the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, have already publicly stated this day that it is a lie, that there are no explosives, no mines, nothing placed by Russia on this plant, does not even get a footnote in any of the coverage before it's happened and will get zero coverage after the fact. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm reaching the stage of resignation to what will be, will be. I'm reaching the stage that's so mendacious, so corrupt, and so rotten to the core are the leaderships of Western countries that they need a bloody good hiding on the battlefield. I know that the real danger exists of that bloody good hiding itself leading to an escalation up the nuclear ladder. I still hear people who deny that, who think that Britain can send its 20 remaining tanks and its Villa Parks worth of armed forces, army, navy and air force onto a battlefield against Russia. And there need be no exchange of nuclear weapons. I hear it from little Ben Wallace, the disappointed putative head of NATO over whom was preferred Ursula von der Leyen. No greater humiliation for the dwarfish Ben Wallace could there be than that. But he and others maintain the lie that a conflict with Russia directly in Ukraine need not ineluctably lead to a nuclear exchange. But this is a lie. And I'll deal with it in just one sentence. If NATO appeared to be prevailing in a conventional war in Ukraine, this being an existential threat to Russia, Russia would have no hesitation whatsoever in unleashing its nuclear strike power. And ditto, vice versa. If Russia was defeating NATO 
in a conventional war in Ukraine. NATO would have no alternative but to unleash its nuclear weapons. First, of course, battlefield weapons. So don't imagine that means the radioactivity stays on the battlefield. You'd be an idiot if you thought that. But by my logic, if one side were to begin to prevail following the use of battlefield nuclear weapons, this could only escalate it to intermediate, which means Warsaw, which means Berlin, which means Paris, which means London, Birmingham, Manchester, and Glasgow. Don't you see how inevitable a war between NATO and Russia in Ukraine is bound to lead? And even when people know, although most people don't, the modeling done in the United States, universities themselves, that an all-out nuclear war between Russia and the United States and its allies will kill 90%, 90% of all human beings on this planet. The other 10%, presumably being the politicians and their families and their factotums and their guards before the guards turn on them in the nuclear bunkers. And according to that same research, the sun will not be seen again in a long nuclear winter for 100 years. I told you it was going to be a bumpy night. It is the mother of all talk shows. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, Nico House is one of our favorite guests. He's a big favorite of the audience. And though not currently in the United States, or he wasn't the last time I spoke to him, there's nobody knows more about what's happening there than Nico House. And he joins us again now. Nico, I clear that up first. Are you still in Brazil? Yes, fortunately, I am still in Brazil. (laughs) 
but you are keeping a watching brief for us on events in uh, Washington. Let's start with the big one. Does anybody in the United States know that we may, this evening, uh, begin a countdown to the end of the human race in this Zaporizhia uh, false flag operation? Of course not. Everybody's still preoccupied with their left versus right nonsense. We're not even left versus right, really. Democrats versus Republicans. Uh, it's interesting because I was listening during one of your commercials. Someone, you know, you were talking about how leftists attack you for being left of them, and they call you conservative for being left of them, and that's where people seem to be focused on right now. Um, but I've already seen that there, there's already seemingly a false flag propagandist operation being put out on social media that Russia is going to attack itself. Come on. That's, that's ludicrous. They, they always say that, right? Just like Assad attacked himself in Syria right as the war in Syria is about to end and the West is about to leave. Um, just like they claim Russia attacked itself. Um, it, it's, it's always, it's, for me, what's the most frustrating about this entire conversation is the fact that we actually have to say the obvious. Why would a country attack itself? But we have to say it, because otherwise people will legitimately believe that Russia wants to go to war with itself and that this isn't just another ploy by NATO. Yes, uh, we have to say it. But like you, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of reaching the end of my tether in explaining it to <laughs> people. Uh, but let's, uh, let's be grateful for the existence of social media, where at least... A considerable army of people now is assembled that is aware, more aware than they have ever been, is conscientized, yeah. and is now more free of the dead hand of the anti-First Amendment powers uh, of the U.S. state, its politicians, its deep state apparatus, Thanks to an important judgment that you've been highlighting this week. Explain, please, to the audience what happened. Yeah, so in a, there's been a couple of cases that have come down the pipeline lately, basically highlighting the fact that the Biden administration has been working closely with social media companies in order to censor, quote unquote, misinformation or disinformation for the interests, as they say, of national security. Now, a judge actually came out and said that this is illegal, that it specifically violates the First, Amendment's First Amendment, and that the Biden administration must cease all contact. Now, this is actually something separate that took place after a couple of weeks ago, a committee in Congress found that the Biden administration was also doing this to censor people in other ways uh, via social media. So, Congress and the court systems have both found out basically that the Biden administration has been collaborating with social media. Now, when I've talked about this in the past, and I'm sure you have as well, we were called conspiracy theorists for suggesting what appeared to be obvious, right? And now we have comp uh, uh, corporations and media conglomerates like CNN saying that they're condemning this. They're saying that the free speech is actually a right-wing belief and that the right has won this victory for the First Amendment. Yes, uh, it is, uh, as we say in Scotland, arse for elbow. We've got the left defending censorship and the FBI and the CIA and the right defending freedom of speech. It's difficult to, I mean, if I were arriving from Mars, 
I'd find that quite difficult to understand, given what I know even about recent history. It was the uh, feds that killed Fred Hampton. It was the feds that killed Malcolm X, that killed Martin Luther King. It was the feds that killed Bobby Kennedy and Jack Kennedy. And now the liberals are the biggest backers of the feds. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in, in, it's interesting because, you know, Biden just came out and, and said that he's not going to release any of the JFK documents, once again, advocating for censorship. And what I find most interesting about this is the fact that you have Democrats and liberals going on the news and, and, and attacking this judge because they want this relationship with the federal government and social media companies to continue. However, what they're forgetting is that given how horrible Biden has been, it is extremely likely that the GOP is more than likely going to take over after this administration is done. Why would they want that type of power to be continued through the GOP? And would we see this narrative persist if the GOP was doing the same thing that the Biden administration was doing. My bet, my answer is probably no, we wouldn't. In fact, they would be complaining about this. But here we are, you know, it's 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 it's, it's team sports, right? If my team is doing it, it's okay. If your team is doing it, well, then you got to go to jail. And that's how it goes. I mean, there isn't any longer any doubt. I speak uh, full disclosure as one in court now in Ireland against Twitter. Uh, Twitter has no defense because they themselves have confessed to the leg level of state collaboration in which the previous ownership of Twitter was involved. It's no longer possible to contend uh, that sticking a fake Russia state-affiliated media label on me for an entire year, bringing forth death threats, having to move house, etc., uh, was a decision made uh, by uh, a legitimate executive in the Twitter corporation, unprompted by uh, a state agency, uh, either above or below the line. We'll find out which uh, when the court case uh, develops. Uh, I think Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk and the, the Twitter papers, the Taibbi reports, have done us all a terrific favor in exposing yep. the extent of the corrupt collaboration, secret corrupt collaboration. Well, Worse than secret, well, as you say, we were attacked, we were accused of being lunatics for suggesting that which is now in a fact. Facts, 100%. And the CISA, which was originally created to basically police cyber attacks, ended up being used by the Biden administration specifically to monitor social media and obviously work with the social media companies to do it. And it was specifically to monitor social media and monitor people to sway the midterm elections in favor of the Democrats. Well, they said what they were doing was policing misinformation and disinformation ahead of the midterm elections. How is that not election interference? So now with the, the, the court case recently that where the judge adjudicated that they had to stop working with uh, with social media companies was specifically regarding COVID misinformation, disinformation, which we now found out the only I mean, like we know now that the actual 
uh, entities, the institutions who were in charge of the information were wrong in a lot of cases, and that a lot of these mainstream media companies were wrong, and none of them were taken down like average people who were taken down for reporting, like doctors, literal doctors were taken off of social media. But now we're finding out that there was election interference due to the same type of collaboration. So whenever, once again, there were people taken off of social media, I was demonetized and taken away from the partner program for stating the obvious, that the, the Democratic Party, and at times the Republicans as well, work with social media companies in order to censor people who are telling the truth about election interference and election fraud, and that election interference and election fraud is alive and well, and not one but two parties. And we were removed. So. I want to not only does this need to stop, but in my estimation, there needs to be some accountability here. It is a cyber attack on American democracy to firebomb the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop to adduce more than 50 senior retired spooks, intelligence figures to say it was Russian disinformation. That's a cyber attack on American politics. It is a cyber attack on this cycle of American politics to literally remove speeches and interviews of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because somebody doesn't like what he has to say. The man's running at nearly 20% in the opinion polls. He's a credible presidential candidate is being taken off his videos wiped off social media that's a cyber attack that that's a cyber attack and that's election interference that is election interference and my like election fraud doesn't just mean taking a ballot out of a ballot box or changing a, a vote in an electronic machine what it means it's a collaborative effort to change the opinion or sway the outcome of an election from a greater entity uh, that has the power to do so. What we are seeing is that at least for right now, one party has power and they're using all of their power to get the desired outcome in order to circumvent actually having to do anything for the people to earn their vote. Because let's be honest, Biden has been horrible. The Democrats have been abysmal the economy is absolutely garbage and now the economy is so bad that it's actually affecting the economy all over the world whether it be through whether it be international relations with the situation with funding nazis in ukraine whether it be the how they're handling the domestic economy just printing money printing money printing money we don't know where the money's going well actually we do know we know it's going to joe biden's son hunter biden who was a crackhead who uses laundered money to smoke crack i feel like we should remember that everybody should never forget that um we we've seen that the democrats would want to use every single f every single uh, uh outcome and tool that that they have at their disposal to get votes in their favor except actually doing what they were elected to do now uh bobby kennedy is lucky they're only trying to uh eliminate his videos with extreme prejudice so far at least uh donald trump they're trying to put behind bars uh literally for the rest of his life because a man like him of his age and weight uh, and uh, and so on wouldn't 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 last an Epstein. He wouldn't last an Epstein minute uh, behind bars. So they're they're trying to kill uh, Donald Trump. 
just because they know that he's got the beating of them. How's that for election interference? How's that case going? I heard tonight that the Mar-a-Lago papers case might now have to be dropped. Well, you know what? I haven't really thought about it like that, but when you when you put it like that, yeah, I mean, don't get don't get me wrong. I believe that Trump is a useful idiot. I do believe that he oftentimes does act as a tool for the Republican establishment, whether or not he knows he's doing it. But at the other end of that fence, Trump is also crazy unpredictable, right? He's vengeful and he hates the Democrats and he even hates some of the rhino establishment Republicans. So to put him in jail at this point, right, uh, could mean that that's the last time we see Donald Trump in public or ever. And the fact that this, they waited, they had how many years, three years roughly to, to, to do all this. And then coincidentally enough, the, around the same time that this Peter Hotez guy comes in to smear uh, RFK Jr., Donald Trump's cases all take off at the exact same time, virtually leaving not just one avenue, but multiple avenues to make sure that he does not see the light of day during this election or is at least so encumbered in, in, in court cases that he won't be able to, to, to accurately, uh, 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 to, to effectively, excuse me, run for president. And now, who knows? This is Donald Trump, right? So Donald Trump, if there's anybody who could run for, for president from jail, it might be that guy. However, uh, what we are seeing, whether it be the Biden administration's collaboration with Hotez and the media, the Biden administration using social media to censor people, the Biden administration and their Department of Justice, because everybody always says, what does Biden administration have to do with that? Bro, it's their Department of Justice. It's U.S. attorneys that their Department of Justice approve in a point. It's federal judges that their Department of Justice approve in a point. Yeah, it has everything to do with it because Biden is literally their boss. That is election interference. We are, well, I'm not living there anymore. You know, good luck to everybody who is, but the US is a banana republic. It is. When we're seeing former presidential candidates and presidents being attacked and thrown in jail for something they did while they were president, when we have never seen that before, no matter how bad they have been, I mean, literally committing war crimes, that is a banana republic. We, we look no different than a lot of the countries that the United States interferes in to overthrow their governments or to install governments. Nico House, as always, a great pleasure to meet you Thank on you. the airwaves. Nico House, uh, political commentator, founder of MCSC Network. Uh, how's the poll going? Uh, 16,000 people have voted. Is Israel's attack on Janine's camp a uh, war crime? Uh, yes, 96%. Yes, 86%. Yes, 87%. Yes, 94%. Well, that is a significant turnout and a significant vote. Give me a quick break. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Professor Syed Mohammed Marandi, another of our most popular guests on the Mother of All Talk Shows, joins me again now. Not initially at least, to speak about Iran. He is, of course, a professor at the University of Tehran, but he's a man of the world. And one part of the world that he takes a particular interest in, for obvious reasons, is the holy land of Palestine. And I have been watching and listening to his anguish 
at what has been happening in Janine Camp this week. And I'm glad to say he was able to join us this evening. Professor, thank you for uh, doing so. 20 years ago, myself and the editor of this show and Mark Seddon, uh, who went on to work for the General Secretary of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, uh, were actually in that very camp. And we could smell the dead bodies unburied uh, underneath the masonry. We could smell the cordite. Two years on, uh, nothing has changed except a new generation of Palestinian children have been born and lived in the squalor that is that uh, camp. And yet, not many people appear to care or even know about it. It's very hard to bear, isn't it? It is extraordinary how indifferent uh, European governments, agencies linked to the Americans, how indifferent they are to the Palestinians in the West Bank. In fact, you often see European ambassadors, American, Canadian ambassadors in, uh, in Palestine or occupied Palestine speak uh, with such high praise about uh, the Israeli regime and the colonizers of the land. And uh, during the uh, tragic events in Jenin, uh, they, they were indifferent. It's, it's unbelievable, especially coming from these politicians who are often quite woke uh, and uh, who, when it comes to their own internal politics, they are very radical and extreme. But when it comes to the Palestinian people, they are just as traditional as the previous generations of politicians and diplomats and journalists who travel to Tel Aviv or anywhere else in Palestine. How do you account for that? Well, this racism has uh, long, long roots. It's, they go back centuries. Uh, the Orientalism that uh, Edward Said wrote about, and people before and after him, uh, it is quite revealing. And it is very interesting how in texts today, even scholars from very important universities in the UK and the United States, they, even now when they speak about uh, West Asia or North Africa, they, when they, they, they speak about the past and the present as if they are the same. In other words, these lands are static, the people are static, they're not dynamic, and basically meaning that in contrast to Europeans and Americans, that uh, they're completely different. So they judge these people very differently, but it's not only directed towards people of darker skin color. You see the same thing about Russians and about Slavs and about ever since the war began, the language used uh, uh, with regards to, or to Russians has, uh, has, has been, become very similar to the language used uh, when describing Arabs or Muslims. This is uh, something quite universal, it, uh, the yellow peril. It's, it's, you can find it everywhere. 
But the interesting thing is that these very same politicians, when they're speaking about uh, the United States, they're very woke, and of course they, you know, people they are they speak of being inclusive, although they're not really inclusive in the United States and Europe. The the working class, the the deprived, as we saw in France, uh, these people are are uh, are ignored. But you know, you, the the tokenism of the of this woke generation of politicians. Uh, when it comes to Europe, when it comes to internal politics, is completely non-existent when it comes to Palestine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Yeah, it, it, it is an extraordinary thing. Uh, you almost feel that if it were happening to almost anyone else, at the hands of almost anyone else, that it would be much easier than this pushing a boulder uphill uh, that I feel I and people like me have been doing in Western societies uh, for, for over 50 years, in my case, 55 years now, exactly. And I kind of don't feel that much further forward uh, than, I, than when I started. Uh, the blood and suffering of Palestinian people appears to be virtually worthless. I agree that nothing much has changed in politics in Western countries. But the work that people like you do is significant because people in the non-Western world do see how there is a, a significant segment of society that is completely opposed to these policies. And that is important to prevent... Uh, the, the sort of racial hatred or animosity that uh, mm. we currently see coming from the West. So that does serve an important purpose. And also, at a time when the world is changing so rapidly, I think that uh, in Western governments and Western officials and Western politicians and journalists, if they don't recognize that this is... big morality aside this is not serve this will not serve their interests in the future because when you have countries in the global south non-western countries that are becoming increasingly powerful they're going to find it increasingly unacceptable when institutions based in the west western capitals treat people like themselves with disrespect or with indifference so the world 
today and the world in the years to come, I think is going to be very different from the world that you and I experienced in the last few decades. Now, uh, Joseph Borrell said that Europe was a garden, uh, the rest of uh, the world was more or less a jungle. He definitely included uh, your country in that uh, jungle. Uh, and uh, Macron uh, did everything that he could, everything, to bring to the streets of Tehran, uh, where you teach, uh, exactly what happened on the streets and is still happening on the streets of France. Now, schadenfreude is a German, not a French word, but you'd have to be quite simple not to experience at least a scintilla of schadenfreude as you saw Paris burning. Like yourself, I do not want to see harm uh, Come to, to see ordinary people harmed, innocent people harmed, whether it's in Tehran or in Paris or even in Palestine. I would like to see the apartheid regime collapse, but I would like to see it collapse without anyone being killed. That, in my ideal world, that's how it would be. But you're absolutely correct. Macron and, of course, leaders like him, but he in particular were supporting violence in Tehran. He was supporting people who were advocating violence in Tehran and other e Iranian cities. And of course, his government supports the MEK terrorist organization, which has killed 17,000 Iranians in terror attacks. And they also fought for Saddam Hussein as foot soldiers. This is a cult, but it has offices in Paris and it's perhaps its most important base outside of Albania is in Paris, its most important political presence in Europe. So when he was at basically advocating violence in Iran, that was all fine. When he was speaking about overthrowing the government, that was fine to Western politicians, to Western journalists. But when the same thing happens at home, suddenly his behavior, his language, shifts 180 degrees. He speaks about, uh, he speaks about uh, social uh, apps, uh, apps used by the youth to communicate with one, an one another. He, he, he speaks about how they pose a threat to society, to the institutions of society. But when in Iran, uh, they had the same concerns about how uh, Twitter was being used or how Facebook was being used and used with the support of Western governments in Iran. We had major Instagram, Telegram, and um, uh, Twitter accounts, as, as long as Facebook accounts, that were teaching people in Iran how to make Molotov cocktails, how to make bombs, how to and advocating uh, Persian-language TV channels in your, in your city, in London, saying that the police should be killed. That is your moral responsibility on live TV in London. It is the, and it is immoral not to kill them. So Twitter is good when it's used to promote violence in Iran, but suddenly 
when it comes to Paris, this is completely unacceptable. This is evil. The parents must be punished. The children must be punished. People must be put in jail. And perhaps uh, there must there they will be more control over how uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, other uh, such things like Instagram will be used in future. But he actually also denounced the instrumentalization of the death of Niall, the 17-year-old boy gunned down in cold blood by a French policeman. There's another one dead now, by the way, by the name of Mohammed, uh, shot in the throat. Uh, and of course, that will have its answer on the streets also. But he denounced in the strongest terms the instrumentalization by political forces of the mother of Nael, when he had literally from his own mouth instrumentalized the death of a young girl in Iran just last year. Well, if you remember last year, when this young woman died, Mahsa Amini, there was a global campaign. Hashtag, the hashtag was used, you know, infinitely. And even though there was never any evidence provided that she was beaten, the footage showed, showed her to be fi fine. She walked, she had no handcuffs, she, was, she went into a hall where other people were sitting, and then after a while she got up and collapsed. There's no evidence that she was beating, beaten. The autopsy didn't show anything. Yet she was used as a symbol to destroy Iran, to destroy Iran's credibility, to create instabil instability in the country. But in, and she was 27 years old. In this case, you had a 17-year-old boy who was threatened by the police and who was shot in the head. We see the footage is there, contrary to the case of Mahsa Amini. But where are the hashtags? Where is the outrage? Nothing. In fact, you, you, you know better than I am sure that the money that was... Uh, given or uh, to the to the police officer who murdered this young boy was far greater than the su financial support provided by ordinary people to the family of the this young 17 year old boy this is it was 15 uh, you know, times greater 15, 15 times, times greater. greater this is something that you would it would be some sort of dystopian movie uh, if you'd wa if you'd seen this in some dystopian movie it would still seem unbelievable but this is the reality that we're living in why is that the case because ordinary french people many ordinary french people are taught to hate these people that's how the media functions that's how uh, the that's how many of the uh, movies produced across Europe and in France and by Hollywood teach people to behave. And by the way, while I don't want to attribute any extremism to uh, anyone, and I, I, don't, I don't condone violence, whether it's on the streets of Paris or on the streets of Tehran or anywhere else. Uh, I don't think pu burning public, public property or 
private property that has nothing to do with one's grievances serves a purpose. But the same French government who is so concerned about the culture of this young generation, this, these French boys and girls who were born in France but who originally came from Africa, why? Because their countries were destroyed because of colonialism and even in Libya, we, we, li we just witnessed the destruction of Lib Libya uh, a decade ago. But if they're so concerned about the culture and about integration, why did they allow extremists to use institutions, whether religious institutions or other institutions, I don't want to name them out loud because I don't want to make this an issue. Why did they allow these institutions in France and other cities and other uh, in other countries across Europe, why did they allow them to uh, be used so that people would be go to Syria to fight? Thousands of people went from across Europe, recruited from across Europe, under the nose of Western intelligence agencies, like the the the, the young person who went to Libya and then blew himself up in Manchester. Who allowed this to happen? Who created this environment? They created this environment so that they could use these people as tools against their enemies, whether in West Asia, like in Syria, or in North Africa, like in Libya. And then when they create this extremism, they blame it on the Muslim community, or the or people from North Africa and West Asia, they helped create it. Just like in the 80s, they did the same thing, but on the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan. So when they wonder why is Afghanistan ruled by the Taliban, if they wonder why we have so many extremist groups in Pakistan, they have to look back at their own history and how they helped create this environment in that region, which ultimately led to 9-11. So they, they have to blame themselves for this extremism. They, they didn't bring in the third world into France. They created the third world. And these people who in the third world, in these destroyed lands came to France, they are the victims of these policies. Again, I'm not condoning violence or, or uh, harming innocent people. But if anyone is to blame, it is the government in Paris. Professor Syed Mohammed Marandi, thank you for a very powerful exposition here on the mother of all talk shows. Much obliged to you, Professor. YouTube comments. Sean PB says, people don't travel enough, George, to understand how people really suffer around the world. If they did, they'd understand that war, hate, what a tragedy it leaves behind. Good point, Sean. Polly Sporin says Russia and China need to provide an alternative social media technology to poorer countries. Tanks provide physical protection. Social media technology protects sovereign information space. Let's hear from Nick in LA on RFK. We're better to go to talk about RFK Jr. Go ahead, Nick. Hi, George. Uh, can you hear me clearly? I can. 
Welcome. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Perfect. Um, I've been trying to get in the last couple of weeks just this question to you. Um, and I speak from a, a certain level of uh, experience because I was heavily involved back in 2016 in the Sanders campaign because I attended the very first one of two meetings, I think he had before he announced his candidacy uh, in 2015. Uh, at the Musicians Union Hall on Vine Street here in Los Angeles, where about 500 activists attended his meeting, where he announced his consideration for running for president. This was Sanders, but that he was going to run as a Democrat because he thought it was the only way he would get the outreach and uh, the only way that he could compete. But in, in his question to the audience was, I'll only do it if you'll be behind me because we're going to do it one person at a time with small contributions, et cetera. And it has to be a grassroots movement, which we did then do. But then obviously he was hijacked by the DNC and by the Clinton supporters. But my, so my question is, really, how does RFK Jr. really think that he's ever going to get the nomination? Because the Democratic Party will do exactly the same to him. And there's no way that he can ever win as a Democrat. And unlike, I think, Cornell West, and ironically, you had uh, Professor Wolf on in your last show, and you mentioned both those names, Cornell West and Robert Kennedy, in the same sentence. And I really think we are in a, a really interesting time and, and a crossover time where the legitimacy of a third party candidate, whether it be in the US or the UK, can really have some meaning and possibly be the first time where we could gain some traction. I'd be interested on your thoughts on, because I think it's a very, it's a strategic blunder on Kennedy's part. And uh, I'm just really confused, really, on why he would would attempt even to get nominated by the Democrats when we know what's going to happen to him. Well, it it may turn out to be a strategic uh, blunder, but it wouldn't be if he has a belt and braces approach to this, and uh, I don't know how you would translate that into American English, Uh, but uh, braces, but a belt as well, because you don't want your trousers falling down if one should fail. Uh, What do I mean? I mean that uh, RFK, I hope I've got no knowledge of this, is very clear that if necessary, he will run as a third party candidate. And if he did run as a third-party candidate. Unlike other third-party candidates, he simply could not be ignored. First of all, the level of support which he already has for the Democratic Party's nomination. Secondly, the obvious, the name recognition. Uh, This is Democratic Party royalty. But the third and most unpredictable, though it's increasingly less unpredictable, is Joe Biden might not last until the uh, primary. You bet your house on Joe Biden being fit to run in the presidential election in 2024? The answer is literally nobody would. Nobody in the whole world would bet their house on that outcome. There has never been a more precarious fragile situation for an American president running for a second term ever in all history. And so you say that Kennedy cannot 
possibly get the Democratic nomination. I'm not sure you can say that. You don't know what's going to happen between now and the primaries. What if Joe walks out onto the White House lawn, minus his trousers, and starts talking? Literal gobbledygook. Oh, sorry, he's already done that one. But you know what I'm saying? What happens if the 25th Amendment, which removes him from office as no longer being of sound mind to be put in charge of the American nuclear fleet, what if that happens? What if he's impeached and the full horrors of the Biden crime family become increasingly exposed even in the mainstream? And that is, to some extent, already now happening, though there's still a long way to go. What if laughing gas, his running mate, comes a cropper? And that's not impossible either. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So you can't actually say with certainty that Kennedy will not get the Democratic nomination. But you can say uh, that the power in the Democratic Party is unlikely to allow him to do so and will resort to uh, even more extraordinary criminality and corruption uh, than they did to stop Bernie Sanders, particularly on his first attempt. You can say that, and I'm with you on that. That's why I say, well, that to happen, Kennedy needs to have a plan to run as a third-party candidate. If he doesn't, or if he won't, then, of course, everyone should get behind a Cornell West, get behind anyone else other than the Democratic Party. And I think that that will happen. I don't know Dr. West. We're trying to get him on the show. Uh, I know that his uh, positions on many things, not all, but many things, are, are quite similar to mine. Uh, and so, of course, I wish him no ill or bear any animus towards him. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Let a thousand candidates run. Uh, I uh, believe in the emergence of a third force in American politics. But what I didn't expect was somebody called Robert Kennedy to emerge on a platform of ending the war of bringing home the troops, of smashing up the FBI and the CIA, of taking on Big Pharma and the military-industrial complex. I didn't expect that, did you? And I want to pray for the success of that. Why wouldn't I? So there's no difference between us, Nick. There's time to see what happens, what develops. It's pretty unpredictable territory uh, we are now in. Last word to you, Nick. I, no, I concur with everything you say, and I'll end it on a high note. Um, well, not a high note for you, maybe, but my apologies for the boys in blue across the street from Manchester United doing the treble this year, but uh, it was a great season. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick.
But we'll, we're back, and we've still a, a bit to go, but we are back. This email from Kahan Noor uh, is, thousands of people listen to your messages. They love you and follow you religiously. You have a great duty, not just to speak to truth, but also to make sure they get the understanding you seek. Things happening to Palestine is planned, and the people behind it are in your circle. You should call them out loud for everyone to see and know. Fortunately for you, have nothing to worry about, but we Palestinians keep suffering. Our leadership is incompetent, and our support is withdrawn from all corners of the world by lobbyists and warmongers. Palestine will be no more if you don't speak out. I kind of do speak out, particularly on this very show. Uh, now, there's a very unusual, in recent weeks, legend appearance. It is the one and the only Norma in Bristol, who appears to be, if not back on her feet, back on her phone. Norma, welcome back and best wishes from absolutely everybody connected to the mother of all talk shows. Oh, that's so nice, George. That's so nice. Um, actually, yeah. before I start, I did know when I listened to that Lisa Nandy, and I thought, my goodness, she was awful, you know. And I think she's been in Bristol really this awful. week. Yeah, but that wasn't my regime. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, do you know? Do you know, Norma, that she was once upon a time <laughs> the chairman of Labour Friends of Palestine, and yet that speech that she made will live uh, in infamy, really infamy. Awful. Anyway, go um, on. Sorry to interrupt. I'm going to ask you. No, no, it's fine. President Biden, as you probably know, is coming on Sunday and Monday this week, and he's meeting the King and the Prime Minister. Now, very little publicity has been about this, and I mean, he's, I'm very curious to know what you think about it because I would really wish he wasn't coming. I suppose the reason is that he wants to. That's to show solidarity, I suppose, with Ukraine, and then there'd be more deaths on both sides. But um, what do you think about Biden coming here? Because there's been very little talk about it. Well, I, he, I, I didn't know he was coming, uh, to be honest. So you've educated me, and no doubt others. Uh, I don't yeah. know if he knows he's coming. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if he'll know he's ever been. Uh, but. He may be on his way to or from this NATO summit in, yeah, in Vilnius. Yeah, I think he's going to uh, Finland Which is a heads of state thing. Mm. Finland, I okay. Think... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it may be uh, that something has already been decided. And indeed, it's almost certain that something has already been decided. They are up to something big. There's going to be a significant escalation in NATO's involvement. By the way, Norma, uh, a former colleague from Parliament messaged me that I had traduced Britain's armed forces by accusing them of having only 20 tanks. Uh, he points out that they actually have 40 tanks. Britain has a grand total of 40 tanks. Uh, and so I apologize to our tank regiment for that. Uh, but yeah. they're up to something big, Norma. Uh, I just don't know how far they're prepared to go, but 
it may very well be, as I say, that we're on the verge of something very, very big indeed. Mm. And the thing is, the problem is, it doesn't really matter to Biden. Uh, he's, he's half brain dead already, as it is. Uh, it doesn't actually matter all that much to me, or dare I say it, to you. Uh, but I don't want to see the world destroyed, do you? I don't want to see my children and their children as yet unborn uh, to, to perish uh, because we followed this old fool over the cliff. It's pretty hard to bear, isn't it? Well, I know, but I mean, the fact that you didn't know that I, I've heard about it on Sunday and Monday is prior to going to Finland. Uh-huh. Um, the, um, it's been very quiet. And I mean, well, I just wish he wasn't coming, but he is. Well, the thing is, yeah, but I mean, whether he comes or he doesn't come, uh, Sunak will do exactly what he's told to do. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Sunak will be trying on behalf of uh, little Ben Wallace uh, to get him to do more. I've no doubt about that. Uh, um, yeah. um, the Cameron and Sarkozy uh, dragged uh, Obama and Biden into the Libyan war. Uh, they were more, uh, more royal than the king. Uh, they were more Catholic than the Pope. The, <laughs> Sarkozy and Cameron were really pushing the Americans to launch a major war on Libya. And look how that worked out. It's, uh, it's not the case, I think, that Biden coming to Britain has any substantive importance. First of all, because Biden's not making any decisions. Else he made Secondly, because whatever those decisions are, the British will carry out faithfully. Uh, this is uh, not Harold Wilson we're talking about here. This is Rashid Sanouk. Go figure. Anyway, how are you feeling, Norma? Oh, I'm still in pain, George, especially at night time. Um, and I'm getting a stair lift from my husband because he can't walk and he, well, he can't hardly walk at all. So we're really, we're really decrepit. But you keep me going and Twitter keeps me going and I've got friends, so we're all right, really. But we are deteriorating. Well, we're, we're all deteriorating. I'm not the man I used to be <laughs> myself as... Uh, <laughs> I'd have to uh, concede, but everyone will wish you well, uh, Norma. Uh, Thank you. You've been much missed, and you're a very loved part of the show. Thank you very much indeed for Thanks. calling. Now, it's just come from my editor here. Buckingham Palace confirmed that King Charles was due to meet the president at Windsor Castle on Monday, the 10th of July. Perhaps they can both go out for a walk and talk to the trees. Uh, the poll has closed. 17,500 people have voted, and overwhelmingly, you have adjudged that the Israeli attack on Janine Camp was a war crime. In all truth, it's very difficult to see how anyone could judge it otherwise. Uh, this is a camp that I know well, but I know many of the Palestinian camps well. I've lived in some of them. My involvement in this matter goes back uh, to the early 1970s. 
My association with the editor of this show goes back to a Palestinian camp in 1977, which whatever way you cut it is a very long time ago. I promised uh, the Palestinian people in the camps in Lebanon in 1977 that I would never leave them alone. Uh, there have been promises that I have broken, but I have never broken that one. And I never shall, as long as God gives me breath, even if I'm the last person on the planet doing so, I will cry out for justice for Palestine. I will cry out that no justice means no peace. And I, like Professor Marandi, earnestly yearn for peace on the Holy Land. If no peace on the Holy Land, where on earth could we get peace? That's my message on the eve of what might be very, very portentous events in Ukraine, indeed. Let's hope we're all still here on Sunday, in which case, join me at 7 p.m. UK time for the mother of all talk shows. It's very important that you spread the word. More than a million people again watched the show over the last seven days. We need that to be two million, three million, five million. We need everyone hearing the other side of the story. Thanks for being with me. Have a good night.